0: Word and glory, America. Bonjour, hi, Canada. That music means it is time for a Hillsdale dialogue, a special one, it turns out. It is 9 11, and Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, and all things Hillsdale are collected at hillsdale.edu, including every. One of the Hillsdale Dialogues, which I believe began in 2013, there are hundreds of them. Doctor Larry Arn is the president of Hillsdale College. I'm not sure that we have ever met before. In a 9/11, uh, this is the 19th anniversary of 9/11. Uh, we're talking on Friday morning um, uh, in in September of 2020. Doctor Aron, uh, just to begin the show, uh, you're married to an Englishwoman whose father fought in the war. London went through the Blitz. 9/11. Was the closest thing I think that Americans on the home front ever came to feeling besieged, uh, because Pearl Harbor was far away and the submarine attacks on the Pacific coast were few and far between. But that was really the day that we got a glimpse of what the Blitz must have been like.
1: Yeah, I remember uh, 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 you know Bush was in power, the, first, the second Bush was in power at the time, and I remember reading an article in the Washington Post by a guy on the National Security Council, and he said, we're trying to figure out how to sense if there's a nuclear bomb being brought into Washington, D.C., and there isn't any way. that Anything sensitive enough will be confused by hospitals and radiology. He said, I fear they're just going to blow up this city. Well, that's still a possibility, but it was a live possibility when they'd kill 3,000 people on a single day. I
0: was on the air that morning with Dwayne, uh, and I, th- I thought 50,000 people died in the tower collapse. So I was live broadcasting when the towers went down, and I, I, I didn't falter. I paused for a moment and just said, oh, my God. But I, I do believe that that was the closest. Now we find ourselves, Dr. Arne, talking about the Blitz and Churchill and an emergency and the Woodward book. And I want to play for you. Uh, President Trump was in your state. He went to the state up north, Michigan, yesterday, and spoke of World War II after the revelations of the Woodward book, which really aren't revelations, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But here is what the president said. And I'm I'm talking to you about it aware that you are a 501 C three. You can't you are neither Republican nor Democrat. You can't be a partisan, but you are a Churchill scholar, a Churchill historian, a scholar of the war, you're part of the official Churchill biography. You've got all those papers strewn around Hillsdale. You can't walk into a room at Hillsdale without finding Churchill papers. And so you're the perfect guy to talk to about what the president said yesterday. Cut number 33.
2: America will prevail over the China virus. As Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. That's it. We're doing very well. As the British government advised the British people, In the face of World War II, keep calm and carry on. That's what I did. This whack job that wrote the book, he said, well, Trump knew a little bit. They wanted me to come out and scream, people are dying, we're dying. No, no. We did it just the right way. We have to be calm. We don't want to be crazed lunatics. We have to leave. When Hitler was bombing, I don't know if you know this, when Hitler was bombing London, Churchill, great leader, would oftentimes go to a roof in London and speak. And he always spoke with calmness. He said, we have to show calmness. No, we did it the right way, and we've done a job like nobody. All of those great generals, all of those great admirals, Our great vice president, Mike Pence, they did a fantastic job.
0: So, Dr. Larry arn he was roundly criticized last night by talking heads in in Blue Bubble Land for comparing himself to Churchill. What did you make of the president's comments there?
1: Well, uh, so you've got me paying attention to that stupid book. Well, that's an editorial comment. I I haven't read the book by... Bob Woodward, and I won't. But uh I've read at it, and I've got a summary of various things. So here's what this thing is, right? I mean, I, I will tell you, my, I myself, I have to. I've made three big decisions about the the coronavirus. One was bringing the kids back at spring break, which I didn't, and think now that that was a mistake. But it was what we knew at the time, right? But that's a key point. What do you know at the time? Uh, the second decision was having commencement on July 18, and the third was bringing the kids back to college in August, last week of August. And so you, you've you got to try to figure out, you know, it, in my case, I isolated it down to one big thing, and that is, is this dangerous to young people? And the answer is, except for a tiny minority, it is not. And But if it is, you can't really have college because social distance in college are Opposite terms, and so you know that. So you're trying to figure it out, and the data that comes is, you know, first of all, you got to try to figure out what a flipping virus is, and and Trump is in the middle of all that, right? Well, Churchill was in the middle of, you know, he he refers to the bombing, and so in in 1940, 1939 and 40, of course, we have detailed records of everything Churchill wrote and said. Not quite everything he said, but most everything he said. And if you put it together, he often thought much worse than he said. Although he said strong things, you know, his first speech as prime minister on the on the thirteenth of May, nineteen forty, was blood, toil, tears, and sweat. But here's something from uh, from March the twelfth, nineteen forty. So it's two months before, right? And it's. Uh, he writes to the foreign minister, Halifax. I feel I ought to let you know that I'm very deeply concerned about the way the war is going. It is not less deadly because it is silent. The Germans are fighting in the east, by the way, and there's no war on the western front at that time. The days are full of absorbing work, but they cost $6 million each. That's how much they're spending every day. Seems like a tiny number now. Never was less result seen for money. There is no possibility of any positive project to gain the initiative and acquire direction of events. There never was any chance of giving effect, uh, effective help to Finland. May have been a means of enabling us to get to, uh, to uh, can't read that word. Uh, he says public men charged with the conduct of the war should live in a continual stress of soul. Right? Hmm. So hmm. he's saying. He's in the government. He's rejoined the Chamberlain government in September, and now it's March of the next year, and it's two months before he becomes prime minister. And he's saying, we're not doing the job. Now, did he say that to the people? Of course not, right? Uh, partly because uh, uh, the people need confidence. I'll give you one other example. Um, so uh, France, you know, come, so uh Churchill becomes prime minister on the 13th of May, 1940, and that is the day. Well, he becomes prime minister, actually, he effectively takes the job on the 10th of May, and that is the day that Hitler begins his attack to the West. And that was so May the 10th, and France fell on June the 25th, right? So uh, May, June, it's about five weeks. And here's what Churchill says. Uh, uh, He says, this is on uh, the date, is May 19th, his first public broadcast as prime minister. We must not allow ourselves to be intimidated by the presence of these armored vehicles in unexpected places behind our lines. If they are behind us, uh, if they are behind our front, the French are also at many points fighting actively behind theirs. Both sides are therefore in an extremely dangerous position. And if the French army and our own army are are well handled, I believe they will be. The French retain that, that genius for recovery and counterattack and the British, the dogged endurance and fighting power of which they have been so famous. Then a sudden transformation of the scene might spring. Right? So that's a hopeful paragraph. Now this is on, on uh, May 19th and France is gone in five weeks from this day. And, and he, says, he says, that can't really happen. Huh? And, and huh. you know, he's been criticized for that right now. The, the, the speech is full of grave warnings. Uh, and so, but, you know, he's got he's to get them to fight. He's got to mix. And when we come back from
0: break, this is the theme of the day. What do you, the fog of war and the fog of virus are very, very different, but they have some similarities. And those similarities are the same whether you're the President of the United States or the President of Hillsdale College. They're the same for every American, and we're going to talk about them. I I saw a comment online, a snarky comment yesterday. There aren't many historians that will agree with Trump summoning Churchill. I thought, well, you know, I'm going to have the historian uh, who knows the most about Churchill President Larry Arne of Hillsdale College on tomorrow. We'll see, as you will if you'll come back to this edition of the Hugh Hewitt Show, Hillsdale Dialogue. Everything Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. Stay tuned. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. The Hillsdale Dialogue is underway, an important one, given the events of this week, uh, where Bob Woodward's book has been excerpted. Uh, Blue Check Media is accusing Trump of lying to the American people about the risks involved. President Trump is battling back and stressing that they did everything perfectly and that he has been stressing calm. And I have played for you, Robert O'Brien, on this show a week before he sat down with Woodward saying everybody knew the virus was deadly and dangerous and warning Americans about it. And Anthony Fauci uh, said this yesterday about President Trump defending the president. Here's Tony Fauci.
2: Uh, I don't want to put you on the, on the spot here, and I know you talk a lot about the idea that noise sort of uh, gets in there and clouds the message, but you are quoted in the Woodward book as well. Uh, according to the Washington Post, Fauci at one point tells others that the president, quote, is on a separate channel and unfocused in meetings with, quote, rudderless leadership, according to Woodward. His, quote, His attention span is like a minus number, Fauci said, right. according to Woodward. His sole purpose is to get reelected. Right. Um, is that correct? You know, if you notice, it was others have said that. Yeah. So, you know, you should ask others. I don't recall that at all. So, I mean, in the book, I didn't read the book, but according to what mm-hmm. I saw in the newspapers, it says, and others have said that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, I, I don't really want to get involved in the kind of stuff that is very distracting to the kind of things that I'm trying to do and that we're all trying to do with this outbreak. So you would question that account then?
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, he also went on to say that the president had never contradicted science in all of his statements. So you're not a big fan of Dr. Fauci. I am. But Dr. Arn what do you make of the controversy as a whole?
1: Well, first of all, you know, I so I call me crazy. Right. But uh, there's a really great paper. Uh, everybody should read Sinatra Gupta from Oxford uh, and so, so if you just look at the expert opinions on this thing, they have been evolving like crazy. Uh, because the World Health Organization said first, no, don't worry. Then 3.5% death rate, 3.5% of infections, right? And any virus, you know, I've become, I've become a lay student of the virus, which is not same thing as an expert. Um, and any virus, a lot more people get it than get hurt by it right? And what is that number? Because it's easier to know the death, although that too is complicated, than it is to know how many people get it. And so they do these seriology tests, and that is who's got antibodies. And that gives a number that's 20 times the confirmed case number. And that means you have to divide the death rate by 20. And you know, some people say 60 times. So uh, there's a great paper sent to me by professor ray your friend and mine let me see if i can find that and uh it's written by Professor paul ray what
0: professor paul Paul ray Ray. yeah yeah
1: Um, jb handley has a blog and what he produces in a in a uh in a blog post uh three weeks ago was if you just look at the death curves measured by excess death in other words you have a population in America of 350 people, million people plus, and so there's an expected number of people who's going to die every day. And it's actually pretty consistent, you know, because the law of averages over a big population is consistent. And so if you measure excess deaths, in America we've lost 170 to 190,000 people, but right now the excess death line is almost gone. It's almost converged with the expected deaths. And so he says this thing is over in America. And then he presents charts from Sweden and United Kingdom and France and, and uh, uh, Taiwan. And those, those places have very different policies, right? Sweden didn't close, didn't, didn't ever, never required anybody to wear a mask. And their death curve looks exactly like the death curve in Great Britain. And ours, the American one, is complicated because we're such a big country. And that means that we have a death curve in New York that looks like the one in Italy and Sweden and everywhere else. And now we're having other ones in the south and southwest, and that's the latitude thing, he thinks. And it, too, looks like the others. So it's very possible that these shutdowns have had nothing to do with the art experience.
0: I think it's going to take a good couple of years to figure out. But I know one thing that it doesn't take a long time to figure out, which is I think Trump managed this fairly well by allowing the governors to manage it. We'll be back with Dr. Arne talking about Churchill and Trump and Thomas Ricks when we return. America will prevail over the China virus. As Franklin Delano
2: Roosevelt said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. That's it. We're doing very well. As the British government advised the British people in the face of World War II, keep calm and carry on. That's what I did. This whack job that wrote the book, he said, Well, Trump knew a little bit. They wanted me to come out and scream, People are dying, we're dying. No, no. We did it just the right way. We have to be calm. We don't want to be crazed lunatics. We have to leave. When Hitler was bombing, I don't know if you know this, when Hitler was bombing London, Churchill, great leader, would oftentimes go to a roof in London and speak. And he always spoke with calmness. He said, we have to show calmness. No, we did it the right way, and we've done a job like nobody. All of those great generals, all of those great admirals,
0: our great vice president, Mike Pence, they did a fantastic job. Welcome back, America. That is President Trump speaking in Michigan yesterday. I am joined during this Hillsdale dialogue by Dr. Larry Arne, president of Hillsdale College, one of the official biographers of Churchill, by the way. And in my opinion, and the opinion of many, the greatest American expert on Churchill, Dr. Arn. after that speech, many people uh, accused the president of comparing himself favorably with Winston Churchill during the war. One of them, Thomas Ricks, who's a friend of mine and a very competent fine author, longtime war correspondent for the Washington Post, now retired, author of a book on Churchill and Orwell, tweeted out not very long before we talked, quote, okay, Trump thinks he is a modern version of Churchill, but in fact, he is a vulgar version
1: of Chamberlain. What say you, Dr. Arndt? Well, the first thing to say is What he claims is much more extreme than what Trump says. Trump didn't say he's a modern version of Churchill. He says in facing a crisis and being aware not to cause panic, in that respect, he's like Churchill, right? That's all he said. He didn't say I'm a modern version of Churchill. And then he's a vulgar version of Neville Chamberlain. what on earth can that mean, right? Is it – what about Neville Chamberlain? Is he like – you know, first of all, he is – Obviously, greatly unlike him in his comportment and behavior, and in that respect, he's probably more like Churchill. Churchill was very outgoing and sometimes flamboyant. So I, I think it's silly. Uh, I think I think Trump is right that you know. First of all, I, I it, is this the Battle of Britain right now? This in, in 1968, we had a pandemic from an Asian flu. And we lost 150,000 people adjusting for population. And we have appeared to have lost about 190,000 now, and the deaths are stopping. Now, maybe it's going to flare up again, but I don't think so. And the thing is, this is not outside the, the world of normal for a pandemic, as far as we can tell right now. And so it would be – and think of the extraordinary things that have happened here. We've borrowed – Thirty percent of the gross domestic product, or something like that. We've increased the national debt by what? Uh, th- what is it? Three over twenty, and and so it's twenty percent. And so that's, you know, those are huge steps. We, you know, what they're doing right now? Right now, they have assembly lines set up and distribution lines establishing, so that pharmaceutical companies can immediately begin producing any vaccine that passes the trials, and there are two or three that are near, but they've already ready to manufacture them, and they're even starting to manufacture one of them, and then they're going to distribute it all over the country, you know, in a hurry. Well, that's a very fast schedule. And so, yeah, we've done a lot. And, you know, a lot of what we've done, you know, we now know in the afterlight, probably was not very helpful. Like they produced a massive extra number of ventilators. And I'm sympathetic with that. Darned if I didn't go buy four ventilators for Hillsdale College. But come to find out you don't really need them for COVID patients. And in fact, it's you could, very rare cases do you ever use them, and it's harmful. You know, go on a ventilator is not a good thing. So anyway, the point is they have done a lot. And, you know, if you, if you just put a timeline together of who said what and when, you will see that Fauci and the World Health Organization and all the great experts, they modulated what they said, and it, sometimes they said it's not, you know, in at in, in, in about the time that Ch- Trump was saying it's not a problem, Fauci was saying that, and the World Health Organization was saying that. And then a few days later, all three of them turned around. Uh, on uh, February 7th, Trump, Trump said for the first time, this is very serious, right? And, and, uh, and then he said other things like, we have it under control. Well, it depends on what he meant by that, but d- do we have it under control? The death rates are falling dramatically, and there are a lot of people who say that's what happens. Uh, my favorite, people should read, you know, I, the ones I read, I read them all, but uh, Sunetra Gupta from Oxford. Uh, there's a guy named Neil Ferguson. And he made a prediction, and this greatly affected Trump and Boris Johnson, that there were going to be 2 million Americans die from this, and there were going to be 500,000 Britons. And the shutdown policies were, de- were devised after that prediction. That's the Imperial College prediction, correct? That guy, right. And, and, and then the day before the shutdowns went into effect in Britain, he revised his estimate to 20,000. 500,000 to 20,000, right? And, and the day, uh, the week after he d- made that high prediction, and that guy has predicted 200 million deaths in the past from a pandemic worldwide. Uh, the, the week after that, these people from Oxford led by this Dr. Gupta said, we, we don't know anything like enough to make a prediction like that. And if it happened, it would be way outside the range of similar things that have happened in the past. So there's been a huge amount of alarmism. You could say Trump tried to uh, tamp down the fears. Well, good grief. Look at the things that have been said. And, you know, young people are going outside and working out, wearing masks. And if you just read J. Bhattacharya and John Ioannidis and Sinetra Gupta from Oxford, there's a bunch of them. They'll say, you know, that's a little
0: silly isn't it doctor my, my question goes back to appraising the president I think it is uh, you know, I, basically you have said Tom Ricks has caricatured what he said it's an extreme reading it's incoherent at one point and silly at the other and I agree with that and I'll, I'll forward that to, to Tom but what I really want to get to is how do we evaluate the president now it's being warped by Trump derangement syndrome where anti-Trump haters are reading everything in order to hate Trump more. And it's being warped by a presidential campaign. But if we look ahead 10, 25, 50, 100 years, I believe the judgment on the administration will be quite good because on the 29th of January, the National Security Advisor came on this show and said, we've warned the president that it's deadly. He's being briefed hourly. It's a very dangerous thing. Uh, The National Security Advisor's Deputy Matt Pottinger didn't trust the Chinese when the Chinese were assuring us. So in the fog of virus, much like the fog of war, they acted, and with advisors like Dr. Fauci and the WHO and the Chinese lying to us, they had to feel their way forward. And given the expected number of deaths compared with the actual number of deaths, I believe Trump, in the future, after the the, the frame has changed, will be judged quite good on this. What do you well, think?
1: Well, I, you know, here's what I would guess. Uh, and I, I'm not critical of the president about this, because I have myself done, in regard to Hillsdale College, many things that were expensive that I think were not needed now. right? And I'm still doing many, by the way. Um, I think it will be judged that we overreacted to this thing. Uh, and you know, if it comes back in the fall and it kills another 500,000 people or something, then that won't be true, right? But it doesn't look to me like, and it doesn't look to me like many, it doesn't look to many highly respected epidemiologists that that's what's going to happen. And and so then you know, because like in 1968, uh, the vice president for student affairs here is a woman named Diane Phillip, and she's really great. And of course, she's got a particular job to protect the students here. And she happens to remember 1968 vividly. She was coming of an age, and she was a track star, and the Olympics were held. And she remembers the protests at the Olympics, the first ones ever. And she remembers circling the moon, I think is what we did in that year. But she says she has no memory of the virus. And she's gone back and looked up newspapers, and it was on the headlines for a few days. And it killed, you know, by today's numbers, 150,000 people, and we didn't shut down the economy. And and here, here's a point you have to understand: when I when I make decisions about Hillsdale College, I'm always aware of the cost of what you do. You know, to take a bunch of students in the prime of their education, in the years when they can get it, because you can't get it later; you're too busy and you also don't have the energy and the curiosity, and they form their intellect and character in these four years. To take two months out of that, that's just disastrous. And, and the cost is real. I've heard Jay Bhattacharya say, well, forget that, the head of the CDC, can't remember his name right now, but not yet, the guy that Fauci reports to, he said on July 14th that for the last 60 days, extra suicides, are running ahead of COVID deaths. And so we, we're no good at counting the cost, right? I guess because we're rich and because we think science can do anything. But the, the cost of this shutdown are serious, and they're going to be with us for years. And I think that that's what's going to be remembered, but we'll see.
0: Do you, and I'm going to blow through the break here, because I want to hear this from you in this segment, given Tom Ricks' comment, How do you think Churchill would have responded to this virus in in England the way, you know, like Boris, or would he have waited longer?
1: Well, Churchill was, you know, he was, Churchill is not like Donald Trump and, you know, Churchill was a genius. And so who's like that? But uh, Churchill was very experienced. Right. And so he had sat through he sat through world wars, the greatest in history, talking to generals. And what he found out was they seldom agree, right? And so he thought it was his job. He wrote a beautiful letter to H.G. Wells about this in in 1901 when he was 26 years old. And he said, expert knowledge is necessarily narrow knowledge. Is there a kind of expertise in weighing the conflicting uh, judgments of experts against all of the other pressures and bringing them into harmony. Hmm. See, pr- so practical judgment, right? It is not the same thing as expertise. You know, I wrote to the college paper the other day. They, uh, I talk about this a lot. Cause I,
0: one, one minute to the break. So. Uh,
1: and, and I said, look, there's not a line that divides expertise and, and practical judgment. There's a gulf. There are different kinds of things. Yeah. The, the purpose of expertise is to gain knowledge. The purpose of practical judgment is to decide what to do. And that has to be done on a timescale of necessity. And so it's, it's just silly to think that science can run this whole thing. They don't agree. When we come back from break,
0: we're going to pick right up on that. Don't go anywhere, America. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt, joined by Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College. We're talking about Donald Trump in Michigan yesterday noting FDR and Churchill during the war and his refusal to panic in an explanation of the Bob Woodward interviews. So, Dr. Arndt, I am curious. He also took the opportunity to condemn the governor of Michigan and urge her to reopen your state. Joe Biden was in your state two days ago and praised the governor of Michigan for her action. You are, of course, subject to the governor of Michigan's interpretation of law I wonder. This is nonpartisan. As someone laboring under her many edicts, what do you think of her performance in this uh, COVID time?
1: Uh, <laughs> well, uh, she, uh, she has uh, made it legal in one stage of all this to buy a garden hose, Ho, a garden hoe, but at the same time illegal to buy seeds to plant in the same store so of course her orders which you know i don't know how many i think it's over a thousand pages i think that uh the fact frequently asked questions to explain her orders are over a thousand points right so if you want to get the brief version read a thousand items yeah and and that's you know that's the wrong thing right it's it uh like, hey, hey, here's, here's what I think. I think, first of all, every, well, I'm taking a lot of precautions because there are people at Hillsdale College who are vulnerable to this, and those people are beloved. And if they die, that will be just heartbreaking to all of us, right? And it's also heartbreaking not to have the kids back because they've got their lives, right, and they've got to grow. And so we're trying to protect the vulnerable, which is, I think, what should have been done all along. I don't think any governor, and I think our governor did, ought to have made a decision to put COVID patients in nursing homes because a serious percentage of the deaths are from that. And, and so that's the point. It's hard, right? But before the ordered shutdowns happened, people were afraid of this thing. And people are not stupid. They were staying home. Airline travel collapsed. Restaurants were empty, right? And so, you know, one thing to do is uh, – is tell them what they need to know. You know, Woodward criticizes Trump for not doing that. And that's, that's according to a tight timeline, right? Because what you say on a given day has to be the balance of a whole bunch of conflicting goods. And so I don't know enough, and I haven't read his book, I don't know enough to criticize Woodward or to criticize Trump in that detail. But I will say that, that uh, serious warnings about this thing are a great idea. I mean, there's kids go all over this campus right now wearing masks and you know why they do it. I I have not yet encountered a student who's afraid of this virus for, for himself or herself, but they understand that there's some people around here that might die from this and they don't want to give it to them. And so great. That's what they should think. And, and uh, you know, we lately, they students don't have to wear masks outdoors now, unless they're in close groups. Right. And, Some of them are still doing it, but I I just don't think that there's any evidence that that helps anything. And, you know, we did have everybody wear a mask for two weeks. And, uh, you know, because we want to find out how much of it we got right now. You know, touch wood. I think we're going to get a lot of cases. I I think they'll be among the young and I pray that nobody vulnerable gets them. But we don't have any right now. And, And is college proceeding as college should? Yeah, you know, we, you know, we're going to have college, right? Uh the you know, it's in one way, you know, I'm so I'm when I come on the Hugh Hewitt show, which is of course a constant annoyance to me. <laughs> I uh I'm a national commentator sometimes on things, right? But I I have this specific function, right? We're supposed to have college at Hillsdale College. That's what we do for a living. And so, and these young people depend on it, right? And and so my, jo- my job is to figure out a way to accomplish that in the face of obstacles. And this virus is an obstacle. And, and, uh, and you know, as I say, I think it will be remembered that we were, uh, you know, that phrase we use, abundance of caution. Uh, that turns out to be a practice that you can die from. <laughs> and, yes. people, and, and so I think we'll be remembered for an abundance of caution and, per- and perhaps excessive. but you and, know, and what you've said,
0: we're very, we're, we are just not very skilled at counting the cost of what we have done. We know the cost of the disease, sort of. Uh, we don't know which way it will go, but we really don't know what the cost of these shutdowns have been, nor will we for a long time.
1: No, I just know it's been immense. Yeah, it's a mess, you know, cancer deaths. And, and, but, but above all, shut people in their homes Right? With a blanket order. That's just remarkable. And of course, you can't really quite do that. You have to make a whole bunch of exceptions. And that means people are still getting out and they, they have to. And, and so, is that even a good thing? And there's a really great quote from I can't find it right now, but there's a, uh, uh, one of the epidemiologists from Britain who's, you know, very concerned about this thing. All of them are. Uh, and he says. The shutdown was a great idea at the beginning. We didn't know what else to do, and we didn't know how bad it is. But now we know a lot more about that. And, and you know, we need to get back to work.
0: We need to get back to work. Dr. Larry Arn, the Hillsdale Dialogue will be posted quickly. Uh, and I appreciate your getting back to work. We will talk again next week. The Hillsdale Dialogues all available at hillsdale.edu. And if you want your son or daughter to go to college, have them apply via hillsdale.edu. Talk to you Monday America